Well, I would like to greet those who are with us online. Good to have you with us here this morning. Glad you can join us. And we are all going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 4 this morning. So turn there uh, in your Bibles, if you would. And we will uh, look at that section of, of God's word. As, we were, as I was preparing for this sermon and thinking about the title of our sermon this morning, which is how a gospel mindset changes everything, I was thinking about those, those moments in life that change us and shape us. Those moments in life after which everything is different. And you may think of different moments of your own life. There are always often key markers, key milestones, um, things such as graduation from high school or from college, uh, moving out of the house, uh, getting married is often a big one, the first job. Uh, For a lot of fathers, uh, it is certainly that first moment where you hold your child in your arms. Somehow over the nine months before that, it didn't really dawn on you that you were going to be a father even though your wife certainly understood. Uh, But there's that moment where you go, oh my goodness, (laughs) my life is going to be different and it it is never the same. Hopefully for all of us who are believers, uh, the biggest life-changing moment we can point to is when we first saw Christ. That moment where, as we talked about last week, the, the veil is lifted and you see him and you see his glory and you repent and you turn to him and follow him. Uh, I enjoyed the question in our community group notes this week that dealt with that, that asked what it was like for you when the veil was lifted. For some of us, it's a long process that takes years. For some of us, there is a moment where we clearly understand everything. I was thinking about the moment in my life where that happened, and it happened when I was a child. I grew up in a pastor's home, so I certainly heard the gospel a lot. But I was in kindergarten, and my, my dear kindergarten teacher, Mrs. Freeman, and a Christian kindergarten was um, basically preaching the gospel to us. And there was a moment in that kindergarten class where I realized that this was a really important decision that I was deciding between um, following Christ or not following Christ between heaven and hell. And I left kindergarten that day and we lived just across the street. I came home. My dad is a pastor, so he usually came home at lunch too, but he wasn't there yet. I walked in the door, my mom was there making lunch, and I said, Mom, um, I need to pray to receive Christ, and everyone else in our family is going to heaven, but I'm not. And she said, okay, just wait for your father to get home. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I think my mom knew her theology well and knew at that moment I was probably already saved, and she wanted my dad to have the privilege of praying with me. But I've often wondered, well, what if Christ would have returned at that moment? I don't know. But he didn't. Uh, and I did pray. And I, re- I remember that very clearly. I'm confessing my sins and turning to Christ. The author of today's text, Paul, the, the human author that was used by the Holy Spirit to write this text, uh, also had an encounter with Christ where everything changed. Paul was a persecutor of Christians. Interestingly enough, Paul was being used to advance the gospel, even as a persecutor of Christians, because God works all things together for his good. And God scattered people all over the world and the gospel was advancing. But Paul met Christ and everything changed. And he went from being a persecutor of Christians to someone who was winning souls to Christ, who was motivated by the glory of the gospel that we have looked at. And through that, 
his mind changed entirely. And today we get a little bit of a glimpse of what that looks like in relation to his ministry and what it should look like in relation to our ministry as we encounter the glorious gospel of Christ. Uh, How does that change our minds in regard to serving him and in regard to ministry? So we want to look at that today. Before we do, I would like to pray to ask God to help us as we look at his word. Father, I pray that you would just open our eyes and give us ears that are ready to hear what you have to say this morning. I pray that you would give me the right words to speak and say that I would clearly communicate your word and that your spirit would take this word and write it on our hearts, that you would change us, that you would convict us, that you would mold us, that you would do that work that that only you can do. We pray uh, for our time here today, Lord. May it glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, as, we, as you see in your notes, uh, Corinthians is one of the most personal letters by Paul. He has spent a year and a half ministering to these people, uh, but they had a lot of problems, and those problems continued after he left. Uh, he wrote 1 Corinthians to help correct some of those problems. Other problems lingered. He made another trip, a painful visit to Corinth, and then followed by a painful letter. And so he has been working hard, but he's seen evidence that these people are repenting and turning to Christ and confessing their sin. And he's rejoicing in that. But there still is a lingering group that's questioning the, whether Paul is truly an apostle. And so he is dealing with that when he's in this letter. And as he defends himself as an apostle, he points to the message that he's preaching, not to necessarily himself humanly, but the power of the gospel. And we saw that in the previous passages. We talked about the great glory of this ministry of righteousness and how we are changed and transformed as we behold the glory of Christ. Now Paul talks about how this glory of Christ that's changed and transformed him uh, shapes his ministry. So we see that today. And I'd like to read for us 2 Corinthians 4 verses 1 through 6. Paul writes, therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So as we look at this passage and we see the difference that the gospel makes in Paul and his ministry, one of the first things we see here is that we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. Second um, Corinthians four one. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. We think of losing heart, and we might look at it from kind of our cultural perspective of running out of energy, perhaps becoming depressed for some reason. But from a biblical perspective, it is it has a greater weight to it. As you see in your notes, there to lose heart points to becoming weary losing courage, 
became behaving in a cowardly fashion and giving into temptation to sin instead of pressing on with the task that God has given us. It is not only growing weary, but it is growing weary and failing to do what God has called us to do of, of giving in to the sin of becoming perhaps lazy, uh, perhaps focusing on ourself and not Christ and his message. And as a result, learn, losing heart and not doing what he has called us to do. If anyone had reason humanly to lose heart, it would have been Paul. We see what he went through. Even as we look at this letter, looking back at chapter one, uh, we see in verses eight and nine, Paul writes, for we do not want you to be unaware brothers of the affliction we experienced in Asia for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. So you see Paul with, with such a, a, a physical suffering that he went through that he actually thought this was it. He actually thought he was about to die. And so Paul, not only here, but in many other places, suffered greatly physically. We also see in chapter 2, verse 4, as he worked with these people and he worked with, with them to help correct their, their sin and he pointed them to Christ. Uh, he wanted them to know what was on his heart. Chapter 2, verse 4, Paul writes, For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. His motivation for helping them correct their sin was not just to give them pain, but to point them to Christ, which is what they needed most. His motivation was love for them. But yet there was anguish and affliction and tears so much that he endured. Even after that, there's a lingering remnant that was challenging his apostleship after he'd spent so much time with them. Yet we see in chapter three, verse one, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need as some letters of recommendation to you or from you? A letter of recommendation, remember, is something that, that you would bring to a place where nobody knew you, where someone with a good reputation would state who you are and that you could be trusted. And Paul is talking to these people saying, you know me, you know who I am. They're questioning his apostleship, but he's saying, I spent a year and a half in ministry with you. I've made other trips. We've had other letters in communication. And now you're questioning all of this. Like I'm a stranger. And so there is this section where he's talking about what God has called him to as an apostle and he's fighting with this. And so you see all these challenges with Paul, um, physical, um, emotional, challenging his, his calling before the Lord. And there could be a temptation, humanly speaking, and all that just to say, I'm done. I'm done with you guys. This is too much. Go and figure it out yourselves. But you don't see Paul do that. You see here that he does not lose heart. He does not lose heart. Why does he not lose heart? He has this ministry by the mercy of God. And that therefore is pointing back. It points back to chapter three, verse 18, where Paul says, and we all with unveiled face are beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed in the same image. And so he's pointing back to the glory of the Lord this glory of the Lord that has caused him to be bold in ministry. 
because he is looking to the glory of Christ and overflowing with that glory of Christ and understanding the significance of it and understanding the mercy of God, he presses forward even though it's hard. I was in Russia. Uh, as I mentioned, we, we had spent four years living there. Before coming back recently, we also had made many trips over there in a 10-year period before that. One time we met, went to visit a pastor in a city uh, called Holmsk. And this pastor was in a city that was very difficult. It was a port city. It was a place with, with a lot of drug addicts and crime. There was a time when the main church on the island wanted to reach the city, so they sent somebody over there to get a work going. And once a work was going, they sent this man and his family to the city. And at the time, they were a young, sharp family. He, they were a, a growing and people that were respected in their church. And so they were really trying to send their best to the city to do this work. When we went and visited them, though, it was very depressing. We saw their house. It was, it was like a, a shack. It needed a lot of repair. Their car was broken down. This pastor who was once a, a young, sharp, good-looking guy had kind of let himself go. He wasn't taking care of himself. Um, their family was growing by the grace of God, but, but we could just see this depression. And what it seemed to us like was that they were losing heart. And their church that they'd gone to build up, there were only a couple of grandmas that were still left in the church. And in this situation, I saw that the church that sent him wasn't supporting him well, that there was more that could be done. I felt sorry for him and his circumstances, and I wanted to help him. But there's another side that we also have to look to that I think Paul points to here, which is, Ministry is not always easy. In fact, it is often very hard. And there's a hard message to someone like this to say, you know, what did you think that ministry in a town full of drug addicts and riddled with crime was going to be like? This is not going to be an easy ministry. It's going to be very difficult. And you can look at it one hand and say, yes, he didn't receive enough encouragement, but look at Paul and all the trouble he endured. And the message that he needed to know more than anything was you need to not lose heart and continue with what God has called you to do. Even if it's difficult, that's true for all of us as well. And I'm not just talking to pastors. Ministry isn't always easy. Some of you teaching Sunday school, those little kids, sometimes you wonder, what are their parents teaching them? Because they are very hard to manage, right? Those of you in youth ministry, don't answer me, but who's more difficult sometimes, teenagers or their parents? You're discipling somebody, trying to help them turn away from sin, showing them Christ, but they keep going back. And it's hard trying to reach those neighbors around you, the neighbors who are blasting their music at 1 a.m. and you're laying there in bed wide awake, trying to tell yourself again and again, they need Jesus, they need Jesus, they need Jesus, because you feel like doing something else, don't you? Ministry often is very difficult. 
And yes, we can look at reasons for it and we can maybe say this is too hard. I'm just going to do something else or I'm going to give up. But Paul's message here is that as we look at the glory of Christ, as we see his wonderful gospel, as we consider what he has done to save us on the cross, to take our sin, we receive his righteousness and he gives us this ministry to share his glory with others. We need to lean into what he has called us to do. And as we go back and as we feel depressed and feel the anguish, we need to go back and feed our souls with the glory of Christ. I appreciated the question the community group notes this week that was asking, uh, how do you behold him and his glory? How do you do this? We need it. We need it. We need to feed ourselves. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves so that we can go and preach the gospel to others. Paul also points to some things here that are temptations for him and others in verse 2. He says, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning, to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Paul is, is considering perhaps what he's been accused of doing. Some say that Paul is trying to trick you. But Paul looked at those in Corinth who had come after him, who were some of whom were accusing him. These were those who really sought the glory of men. In fact, he, he compared them to peddlers. In verse 17, peddlers of God's word. These were like dishonest businessmen. That's what peddlers were in, in Paul's day. Trying to get something for themselves, but not for Christ. And Paul said he refuses the temptations in these areas. Talking about cunning or tampering with God's word, that, that word there, tampering, is really looking to someone who would be watering down wine when they sold it, right? And saying it was pure. Or um, saying that gold had a certain level of purity when perhaps it did not for their own benefit or their own gain. Changing the product. And so what does it look like when someone is tampering with God's word? There's many different ways. Let me name a couple of them that, that we might see today. I'm sure Paul saw in his day. Sometimes there is a, a new discovery. Sometimes someone discovers something in the word of God that no one has seen before. And they are so wise and brilliant to have seen this nugget. And all throughout the last 200 years, can you imagine that no one ever saw this, but they did. If you ever hear that, be wary. Be wary. Yes, we can all see and understand and dig up new things in God's word. And it's not unusual for you to be going through God's word and learn something that you had never seen before. But when you discover something that no one had ever seen before, you probably should check because there's a lot of really wise people who know God's word well. And you have to ask yourself, why do I disagree with them? But people may do this to bring glory to themselves and say, look at me. Look at how wise I am. Look at what I have found. There's also, sometimes people will tamper with God's word through poor interpretation. Poor interpretation. Uh, uh, seeing that God's word says something and saying it says something else. Basically saying that God's word says what they want it to say. An interpretation that is convenient. Oftentimes people will do this to cause the Bible to agree with culture. They'll say, really, what the Bible is saying is this, and they'll twist it in such a way that it agrees with what culture would like for the Bible to say. You know, sometimes the word of God is offensive. Sometimes people's eyes are blinded. The gospel is countercultural. Paul is encountering this in Corinth. That's why he has criticism. 
But when we take the Bible and we cause it to agree with culture, when it does not, we water it down just like wine and it has no effectiveness and the church becomes no different than the rest of society and then therefore has no purpose. Sometimes also people will take the word of God out of context. You can make it say anything you want it to say. If you just take a verse out of context, right? And then to your hearers, you can tell them something they want to hear. You want to hear that God is going to make you wealthy? Well, let me tell you, the Bible says that. You want to hear that God will heal every disease that you have? Well, let me tell you, the Bible says that. And by the way, that healing will come in heaven one day. But we have struggles before that. We can make it agree with what we want it to say or we, something that will please our hearers by just taking something out of context. And we're, by doing so, we're tampering with God's word. We are not doing what Paul says he was doing here, which is an open statement of the truth. Let me just clearly tell you what God has said. And that's what he said. And that's what we need to do as well. But you might ask the question and moving to the next point, uh, you see the question, if the glorious gospel is clearly preached, why doesn't everybody understand and believe? Why is it that everybody doesn't understand and believe? You could have someone like Paul who, man, Paul could explain this better than anyone in the world, but yet everyone didn't believe when they heard what Paul said. And everyone doesn't believe when they hear what we say either, when we express the truth of God's word. Well, the answer there uh, we see in verses three and four, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of glory of Christ, who is in the image of God. So it is the God of this world. The God of this world is Satan in the scheme of Satan. It is sin that blinds people's eyes. And even though the truth is clearly proclaimed and there and easy to see, Sometimes people still don't get this. You may have experienced this, trying to share God's word with somebody, and you're making it clear, simple, like, and you're thinking, why don't you get this? Well, the answer is, uh, first of all, um, you are not the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and it is the Spirit who lifts the veil that is caused by sin and Satan and allows us to be able to see the glory of God. And that is his work. And we must remember that our message is from Christ. We are the messengers, but the spirit of God is who writes the message on human hearts, the messengers. Looking back to chapter three, verse three, uh, passage we looked at just a couple weeks ago. Paul says, and you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of God, of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. And so you see that process there where you have the spirit, you have the, the message that comes from Christ and you have the spirit of God that writes it on human hearts. And what is our role in that? We are the messengers. We are delivering this message uh, as clearly as we can to other people, but we can't change hearts. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not saying that we just read God's word and do nothing else. Sometimes that's appropriate, but when we communicate God's word, we work hard to make it clear. We speak in different ways, depending on who somebody is. We speak in different ways to our children 
than we would to adults, the same truth, but how we communicate it might be a little bit different. We want for people to clearly understand, and this takes work, it takes effort, but at the end of the day, I can't make someone else believe and understand. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. So there is a sense in which we have to do what we do and pray that the Spirit of God will open hearts and cause people to see and believe and allow him uh, to do that work. So as I mentioned, uh, and you see our next point, we proclaim not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord. Not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord. This is a message that Paul said in chapter 3, verse 12. He said, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. This hope is Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ, as you see at the end of verse 4, is the image of God. The image of God. This means not that he is a lot like God, but that Christ is God himself. None of us can stand before the glory of God and live. But Christ came to us. Like we talked about recently, right? Do you remember? God with us over the Christmas season. He came in, 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 as a human and lived with us as a human. And John said in chapter 1, verse 10, 14, we beheld his glory. We saw the glory of God when we looked at Christ. Christ, who went the one who went to the cross for us. Christ, who took our sin. Christ, who we see in chapter 5, verse 21, who knew no sin, um, became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. Our glorious Christ. This is who we proclaim. And, and this is why we are bold. Because of who he is and what he has done. And we also know how he works. And we see in verse 6, For the God who said, Let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Let light shine out of darkness, pointing back to the very beginning where there, there was no light in creation and there was just darkness and nothing else. And God said, and many think this was the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, who said, let there be light. And there was light. There was not the sun and the stars hadn't made them yet, but there was light, the light that came from God, the, the most powerful light that any of us can possibly fathom or imagine. And it is this light. It is the God who said, let light shine out of darkness that goes into the darkness of our hearts where we are where we are captivated by sin, where we can't see his glory and his light shines in our hearts and he opens our eyes and we are able to see his glory. This is how he works. And this is why we preach Christ because he is the one who opens eyes and opens hearts. When I was in, um, early in my youth group days, we lived in central Oregon. I was a junior hire and I, I had a, a youth leader, by the name of Dave Conley. So shout out to Dave if he ever watches this. He's responsible for many of the crazy things I did as a youth leader back in the day. Uh, he was young and, and we went uh, cave crawling now, or, or as they would say, caving. So in central Oregon, there's lots of lava tubes. Uh, you might be familiar with ape caves. That's an example of a lava tube, right? So it's not just a cave. It's like there's this hole in the ground and you crawl in and it, and it, and it kind of opens up, 
but there's lots of rocks you have to crawl over and around, and it's not easy. Sometimes the ceiling is low. Sometimes it's high. Sometimes you're climbing over huge boulders, sometimes small boulders. And so we've gone all the way in through a cave, a group of us with our flashlights to the end, and we come all the way back out. So we're all out, and we've done that. And Dave says, all right, so everybody turn off your lights and get a banging stick, and we're going to go in again without any lights. <laughs> and so being the junior higher I was, I thought, that sounds awesome, right? <laughs> and so we all got these sticks, and we went back in the cave, and about five or six of us uh, made our way through the entire cave all the way till we feeling around we thought we were at the end. And then we turned on the light to see if, in fact, we had arrived at the end. And there, there it was. We were right there at the end. Uh, a light makes a huge difference in going through a cave. And I can tell you from that experience, it's a lot less painful to crawl through a lava tube with a light than to do it in the dark. Only silly people do it in the dark or junior hires and a crazy youth leader. And, but what we see there, an example, if you've ever been in a cave, is the amazing difference where you go from complete darkness to one little light, one little light, and wow, you can see everything. The, the light of Christ shining in our hearts is no little light. And when he co- shines in our hearts and opens our eyes, we are able to see him and to see his glory. Some of you today uh, may know him, but I would ask you, do you know his glory? Are you in awe of the gospel as you see who he is? Or do you only know him intellectually? Because as God works in our hearts, we're able to see him and see his glory and to worship him in all of his glory. I appreciate also what Paul says about his role here. His, his role in all of this is a servant. Our role in this process is not as exalted messengers, but as servants to all for the sake of Christ. Following the example of the suffering servant. There were many in Paul's day that were doing this so they could get the glory. So people could say, wow, what a speaker you are. Wow, what a preacher you are. But Paul again begins to show that, that his role is, is a messenger, but not even an exalted messenger, just a servant. Just trying to serve these people by bringing them the word of God, by helping them to see who Christ is. That's our role as well. I remember uh, on Sakhalin in Russia working with my friend Alexei and It was a difficult time in his church. There were some who opposed him, even former pastors of the church and some who had been there a long time and they didn't oppose him for good reason. And we were trying to work through this situation to bring peace, but he still had to go and preach every Sunday, even though some said you should not be preaching. And I said, Alexei, what is it like to preach to these people who who don't really want you to be there and don't even seem to like you? And you have to understand, this is Russia. So, so this is what he would be looking at. Not very friendly. And honestly, sometimes even your friends look at you like that in Russia. But that's another story. I say, Alexei, how, how do you preach? How do you have the strength to do this? And, and he said two things. One of them was just in jest. Well, I wear reading glasses, and it kind of makes the people a little bit fuzzy when I look at them. <laughs> but he also said, Kevin... I'm not here for people to say, wow, look at Alexei. 
I'm here to say, look at Christ. Do you see Christ? And he said, Kevin, in any setting, in any situation, I can point people to Christ because it's not about me. It's about him. And so what he says is, look at Christ. That is what we need to do as well. Even when it's hard, even when we're tempted to give up or lose heart, even when those squirmy kids in Sunday school don't seem to want to listen, we work hard. We want to point them to Christ. To our children, yeah, there are moments. There was a moment the other day where I asked one of my children after they had done something to go to their room. It was not for punishment. It was for their safety. (laughs) And to keep myself from doing something I would regret. Those moments where you're tempted to react differently, you remember that that heart, even through discipline, needs to see Christ. The neighbors that are hard to deal with, they need to see Christ. And everything we do, we need to be faithful to say through our lives, through our message, through our ministry, we need to point people to the glory of Christ that we see here in the word of God. I hope that we can do that. Looking at your notes here and responding to God's word, a couple things to look at. Paul said, we do not lose heart in ministry. And I would ask you, how is your, how is your heart today? How are you doing? Are you becoming weary or tired, losing courage, giving in to temptation? How is your heart? Are you determined to serve the Lord well? And how can you actively behold the glory of the Lord so that you do not lose heart? Your strength is in him. This is why we need to preach the gospel to ourselves even more than we preach it to other people because we need to see him. We need to be reminded who he is and out of, out of what overflows from our hearts, we can share his truth with others. I also would ask, has the veil been lifted from your heart? Are you one of those people today that doesn't quite understand? Or maybe you kind of understand the knowledge aspect, but you've never been captivated by who Christ is. If that's you today, I would love to talk to you and several others around you would love to talk to you today and have that discussion and talk with you about that and pray that God would help you to clearly understand his truth. And I would ask, who are you sharing the gospel with? This question was convicting to me this week. Who are you sharing the gospel with and how's it going? And are you making it about God or about you? And when I say making it about you, I'm not just talking about constantly talking about yourself like we all like to do. I'm talking about that thing in you that that makes you a little bit afraid to share because you're afraid of what they'll think about you. Uh, that, That part of you that may hesitate, that part of you that, that may pass on an opportunity when we know we need to share God's truth with others. Um, how are you pointing people to the glory of Christ? How are you pointing people to the glory of Christ that you see every day? I hope we can do these things. I hope, like Paul, we can not lose heart, but lean in to what God has given us to do regardless of the difficulty that is before us, knowing the greatness of his glory and the need of those around us to hear it. Let's stand and pray as we close. Lord, we thank you for the truth of your word. Lord, we thank you 
that you help us in such practical ways, that you help us understand how much we need you. And Lord, that we need the gospel not just for our own salvation, but we need to be reminded of the gospel for ourselves daily, that you are our source of strength. We thank you that through Christ's sacrifice on the cross, we can come before you with his righteousness. We can come before you boldly. We can enjoy being in your presence in prayer. We pray that as we know you more, as we become more captivated with your glory, you would give us the courage and strength despite any difficulty to lean into what you have given us to do, to lean into that ministry that you've given us, to share you with those around us who so desperately need to know you and that we would be faithful to simply show and tell others your truth. Thank you, Lord, for that small role that you've given us that is an amazing privilege and an amazing responsibility. Help us to do that faithfully, we pray. Be with us as we go through the rest of this week. Keep our minds and our eyes focused on you and all we say we do and do, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.